When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 126 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. You can also tune in on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play. I'm Matt Lombardo, and as always, I'm joined by my beat writer partner, Ryan Dunleavy. Ryan, a whole lot has changed since the last time we hosted one of these podcasts. How are you doing, first of all, and what do you make of this offseason program for the Giants? Yeah, a whole lot has changed. The Giants have a right tackle. They have, uh, you know, that I, everything. I, if you read some things, you think the Giants are going to win 13 games. If you read other things, they're going to win six games. So should be an interesting season from that regard. No one really knows what to expect from the Giants. Yep, I absolutely agree. I'm closer to that 13 win mark. Nowhere wow, near it, though. Whoa, Nowhere near it. Nowhere guy. near it. <laughs> I, I, I am still pegged at 10 and 6 is where I think this season will wind up for the Giants. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that. And of course, uh, the biggest change for me is I have now moved the Talk is Cheap podcast studio into my basement uh, to avoid the crying baby. Sophia Marie joined the world on May 27th, smack dab in the middle of the offseason program. So, Ryan, I appreciate you holding down the fort during yeah. that time. And um, it should be a fun year. Uh, uh, with the new baby and a new team covering this year. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I speak for all of Giants Nation when I say congratulations. So, Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And the one thing to do, the one last piece of housekeeping before we really dive into this episode, we've been asking people to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spreaker and like us on YouTube. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, we'd love to hear your five-star reviews. And Ryan, we actually got one. Somebody chimed in with a five-star review. It, w- it was my mom. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. WGT 1,034. Very interesting username there. He says the two hosts this season are great. He or she, they said the two new hosts this season are great. They have much more personality and a better overall analysis of the game. Keep it up, fellas. Great work. So oh, I like that. You. Thank you to you for the review. We look Doug forward to reading personalities though there were some great personalities with cratch and duggan and everybody who came before us we're just hoping to pick up the baton and run with it i think that's the general sentiment right i i showed a little of my personality today in my saquon story i think so you really did and let's jump into that real quick because since saquon barkley was drafted by the giants i had the chance to talk to him about his relationship with odell beckham how playing in the big 10 and at penn state prepared him for the bright lights of playing in new york city and being the number two pick 
pick of the Giants. But Ryan, you came out of nowhere with a, a great story, um, a great moment for you and Saquon, where you took ownership of probably one of the funnier moments of your career. Yeah. Tell the people how all that came about. I'll give you the tried to give you the truncated version. I covered Rutgers for the last uh, seven years, six years, and Saquon Barkley originally committed to Rutgers before he started Penn State, decommitted, and in his first game against Rutgers, it was his third game of his career, in the first half, I tweeted that I didn't know where he'd fit in the loaded backfield at Rutgers. And at the time, Rutgers had one of the top 20 backfields in the nation, had just rushed for 2,000 yards the year before without a running back having more than 500 yards. Four and then as guys. soon as you hit send, didn't he rush for something like 130 yards that night at Beaver Stadium? Seven yards and like there two TDs. <laughs> and it was kind of his coming out party. And yep. all of State College jumped on my back and hasn't really gotten off it for three years. Just relentless uh, – trolling of me on Twitter and I've tried to be a good sport about it, but I was not nearly as good a sport as Saquon was. You got to remember, this is a guy whose, you know, intention is being pulled in every different direction and, you know, is getting used to stardom now. And uh, a lot of professional athletes don't like to show any personality. And Saquon was kind enough to give me a couple minutes to joke about my tweet. And to my surprise, I thought I was going to have to explain all this to him. He knew the tweet. He saw it. He walked up. He said the tweet. And as soon as he said that, I knew we were in for gold. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do on NJ.com slash Giants. And uh, funny story about how Saquon has forgiven me for one of the coldest takes of all time. Yeah, that was great. It's an ice cold take on your part. I'm glad that you owned it. I'm glad you guys had some fun with it. And I remember when I briefly brought up the tweet in my conversation with him right after the draft, he just kind of laughed and rolled his eyes and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the tweet. I know the tweet. Man. said it was all in good fun. He says he hopes that he changed your mind. You still don't believe that. But I'm glad you guys got to um, bury the tweet. Forget the hatchet. You <laughs> buried the tweet. You buried the cold take. So good on you, Ryan. Yeah, it was good. The video's, the video's funny. I, I don't know. Freud could have a good time with the video because I took my we had this poster we ripped in half and I ripped mine in half and held up my big chunk and Saquon ripped his half into like 12 different small pieces. <laughs> so I, maybe he was more angry about the tweet than he wanted to let be known, you know, that could have been a cathartic moment for him. But <laughs> speaking of Saquon Barkley, Ryan, if we look back at OTAs and minicamp. I think it's fair to say that Saquon Barkley was one of, if not the standouts of the entire camp. And I know that we're not going to really get a true sense of his impact on the backfield as a runner until the pads go on. But but I can think off the top of my head, two or three different plays, maybe even two or three per practice, where as a receiver out of the backfield, he catching passes in space, he was untouchable. He was yeah. untackleable. And just like we saw at Penn no State. One, where, no linebacker stood a chance. No, where wheel route were really his favorite play in the playbook, and Penn State went to that well often. Um, it seems like Pat Shermer and Mike Shula have crafted an offense now that will feature the wheel route, trying to get those mismatches with Saquon Barkley against a linebacker, against maybe a nickel cornerback. And there just aren't that many linebackers in the league they are going to beat Saquon Barkley in a foot race once he has the ball. I'm excited to see what happens when he has to run between the tackles uh, behind an NFL offensive line. But if you're a Giants fan, I think think you have more than enough reasons to be optimistic about his impact on the offense as a receiver based on what we've seen this spring. 
Yeah, I don't mean to play the contrarian. I agree with everything you just said, but I try to take football practice in two regards, right? Everything that's good for the offense is bad for the defense and vice versa. Every time you see me or you write about a pick six, somebody threw that pick six. Right. And the, and the flip side of this Saquon thing is the Giants linebackers couldn't cover him. So I wonder if Olivier Vernon or Kareem Martin or um, Ogletree or Goodson is going to be able to cover Corey Clement or Jarek McKinnon when they play the 49ers or some of the other really good receiving running backs that are, are going to be on the schedule. Uh, I wonder how much of that was Saquon is just really, really special and how much of that is we just saw a weakness in the Giants defense. I think it's a combination of both. And I think that if we hadn't seen what Saquon Barkley did during his college career as a receiver and the numbers that he put up catching the football, um, I, I think maybe it would be more of an indictment up against the Giants linebackers. Bottom line is, I think the kid is a special talent, and we're going to see that immediately as a rookie. The other thing that really stood out to me, Ryan, and we haven't really had a chance to touch on this over the last couple of weeks, is the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. showed up, did just about everything. I know that he sat out two of the OTA practices, but once the mandatory stuff uh, you know, started up, we saw him do a little bit more individual work. We saw him catch passes against air, and twice on two of the air is practices... Defender. Remember Air yeah. Bud? Remember Air Bud? Oh, the, oh, I remember he, he should have tried out for the Sixers against the Celtics. He would have been <laughs> yeah. a, a great addition to that backcourt, Air Bud. Yeah, he, he had no chance at guarding Saquon and OTAs, I can tell you that. No, but you look at Odell coming in and two days out of the three days in minicamp getting extra work one-on-one with Eli Manning, catching passes. Um, I have my thoughts on that and what it could mean big picture. I know we're going to talk about Odell Beckham a lot between now and training camp and certainly between now and the regular season. But Ryan, what did you make of Odell not only reporting without that new contract extension, but also what he was able to do and what we saw? Okay, there's this is a multi-tiered answer, right? So I thought he did everything he needed to do all offseason after the infamous uh, video with the possible drugs, everything from there on, I thought he did except speak to us. Yep. Uh, but he showed up for three OTAs. He showed up for the three mandatory mini camps. Um, I thought he did his part to be a good soldier, so to speak, to play nice. Uh, second tier, I would say is on the field. I thought he looked completely healthy. I'm not surprised he's cleared medically. Uh, I know Pat Shermer didn't want to get into semantics of cleared for team reps, cleared for individual reps. Cause then that kind of leads you to believe it's a holdout, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, it, I would not be, I fully expect Odell Beckham once he has a new contract to practice in full to be ready, uh, you know, 100% ready for the Jaguars game when the season opens. Uh, He did not look slowed at all. He did not look to have a limp. He did not look in any way slowed down or bothered. You could not tell he was coming off ankle surgery other than the scar. And that brings me to the third tier, Matt, which is you and I were both at his camp this weekend, uh, St. Joseph Metuchen High School in Jersey. Uh, he did a great job with it. Uh, I thought I, I've been to a lot of these camps, a lot of these charity functions over my life. Odell and, uh, and let's call it what it is. He was getting paid. I mean, right. this wasn't a charity uh, camp, uh, but he was as involved with these kids as anybody I've seen. 
uh, individual. Right, he spent three problems. hours there. He spent yeah. three hours six, running through six, drills. Six hours per day. Six. Yeah, wow. So he spent six hours there at this camp working individual drills with the kids, taking photos with everybody in attendance, clowning around with them, really showing his personality. And that showed me something. And, I, and as you said, I know that he collected a paycheck for being there, but he could have just written a check and put his face on the right. camp, showed up, given a speech and gotten a, a, in an Uber X and, and been out of there. But no, he spent the time and, and I thought it was really telling about that side of his personality. As for what we saw at camp, I'll start with the on the field stuff um, from what we actually got to see him be able to do. Um, there were a couple of plays on the final day of minicamp where he was running red zone drills and running individual drills and hopping and cutting and running off of that fractured ankle. And you saw the one play, I actually tweeted a photo of it, of him making a one-handed catch. Ryan, he was six feet up in the air. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable. And, and you look at that and you say, wow, this guy really is back to 100%. And of course, as you pointed out, Pat Shermer did say that he was medically cleared to return. And that's where I think the next layer of all of this Odell Beckham drama is going to truly unfold come August, right? Because I agree with you. He's done everything asked of him. He's been the good soldier. He didn't pull a Tom Brady and hold out. He didn't pull a Julio Jones and sit out mandatory minicamp, even or though he has Khalil Mack or Zach Martin yep. or yeah, there's other guy, Aaron Donald. This yep. seems to be what what stars do. Yep. I would have assumed Odell would do it, and he did. Right, and Odell had every reason in the world not to be there, not to take part in anything, even if he did show up and just go through film study and meetings. But he did the bare minimum, which is all that he really should be doing at this point. And I think that by the Giants announcing that he was medically cleared to return, I think they've set the stage for a standoff come August, that if there's no deal in place, the Giants can now say, hey, this is on Odell. There's no more ambiguity of whether or not he's been medically cleared or not. So if he's not there or he's not 100% participating, health is now off the table. So while I applaud the Giants for putting it out there, I also think that they've set the stage for this to be a battle if there's no extension agreed upon between now and the day the camp begins. Now let's touch on some of the news, which was as he hopped in a golf cart and drove away at that camp, he said no holdout he plans to be in camp uh i was a little suspicious of those comments as he drove away because you know he wasn't holding court with the media i confirmed with a source close to him that he does plan as of right now to attend now that's obviously subject to change and the source didn't say this, but you can read between the lines. And if the negotiations are going nowhere, if they're not even close, uh, I would expect them to change and I would expect him to hold out. But, you know, maybe a deal doesn't have to be done. Maybe they just have to be making progress towards it. Right. As of right now, he doesn't plan to hold out. That is subject uh, to change because look. I think what we saw to wrap that up is Odell wants to be on the field. We saw that in camp yep. when he stayed after with Eli Manning. We saw that in camp with these little kids when he couldn't resist, you know, showing off great catches or stripping the ball from six year olds as they ran past him. He's just too competitive. He could, he wants to play football. I agree. Um, 
But, you know, he has advisors and, you know, loved ones and all that'll be in his ear telling him he has to protect himself. And uh, and they aren't necessarily wrong about that, Ryan. And that's why that's why I was so surprised to see him not only in the building for mandatory minicamp, but as active as he was. And if if there's no deal, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how this thing plays out, whether he shows up, whether he takes part in everything and, and the dynamic and the byplay between the the Giants and Beckham after all of this seemingly goodwill is built up yeah. if he's not on the field after he's been fully yeah. clear. But there's been plenty of time to talk about Odell, and there will be plenty of time to talk about Odell Beckham between now, training camp, and the regular season. Um, but as we we flip the page ahead a little well, bit Well, let me here. give you a couple of oh, my sure. takes. Let me give sure. you a couple of my takes. Uh, Eric Flowers is your right tackle if you're a Giants fan. Get used to it. Uh, Eric Flowers is your right tackle. No one else in the media – attended practices took even one first team rep at right tackle uh flowers did a nice job probably credit to giants pr for coaching him uh when he was in front of the media for six minutes or so for the first time said all the right things about the trade rumors and about the position switch and all um just like like Eli apple kind of did so And the coaches seem impressed with what he's been doing. And again, we're not going to be able to evaluate Eric Flowers or any lineman until the pads go on and there's full contact in camp. But on what we've seen, he looks adequate. And the coaching staff seems to be uh, certainly much more patient right yeah. now than they might have sounded at the yeah. beginning of the offseason. And then I'll give you another one, which is I don't I don't know Snacks Harrison. I haven't been around him. I haven't really gotten to know him. I don't know how many people do. Uh, but he, it's a strange vibe around, uh, Snacks Harrison. I don't know. He didn't show up for, uh, the voluntary mini camp. He didn't show up for most of the voluntary OTAs, uh, totally his right. As we mentioned, every player has the right to do that. Um, but we don't know why I asked him that question. He said he was minding his own damn business. It sounded like he wanted to tell me to, to my own, to mind my own damn business, um, so we don't really know. And again, listen, if it's something personal, like he has totally has the right to keep that private. I mean, yep. totally has the right, uh, to do that. Um, I thought that was a little, but just a little strange. He's gotten in a couple of, uh, I don't know, scuffles on Twitter with fans, especially about the national anthem. Uh, I thought that would, you know, that's a, he's very active on Twitter. I like when athletes are very active on Twitter. That's and then a, during the final practice, he yeah. got in a scuffle with Will Hernandez where Will Hernandez's helmet gets ripped off. And in the middle of a scrum, Harrison swings his helmet at Hernandez's unprotected head, yeah. which to me was a really ugly moment and an ugly way to cap what has been a pretty good spring for the Giants. Yeah. I was surprised that they didn't march Harrison off the practice field right then and there. Yeah. Uh, from talking to people who were around last year, though, I mean, Shermer did more than what it sounds like McAdoo would have done. McAdoo probably would have ignored the elephant in the room. Uh, Shermer clearly gave Harrison a stern talking to. Harrison was lurking around the offensive lineman uh, after getting pulled from the field and like going to the sideline. He was lurking around, almost looking for a round two. Um, and Shermer quickly de-escalated that by talking to him, by, you know, like pushing him aside, so to speak. Uh, so I just, I thought it was weird. I mean, listen, Snacks is one of their best players. He might be their best player on defense, you know, talent for talent, you know, Madden grade, so to speak. Uh, he might be their best player. I just, it's, it's strange. And again, I have nothing to compare it to. 
uh, cause I didn't cover him in the past, but it's just been a strange off season for snacks is something I would keep an eye on moving forward. Yep. No, I absolutely agree. And that's going to be something to watch as well. The position battles that are going to unfold during August. And there's a lot of opportunity at several positions. And in a lot of ways, Ryan, I think we'd agree that this is a pretty top heavy roster in terms of talent. Ooh. There are, are several players that are near elite caliber on offense. There are one or two or three near elite caliber players on defense and then there seems to be a battle at, at multiple spots. The position that I'm going to really be keeping an eye on is nickel corner. And the Giants have a lot of young players there, uh, one of which is is Grant Haley, an undrafted free agent who they gave hundred grand to to come in. Um, he's gotten some limited snaps during the spring. I'd like to see him uh, get some more reps during the summer, during camp, because I think he'd be a nice fit there at the nickel spot with Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple kind of cemented as your two starting cornerbacks. We also have guys like William Gay and B.W. Webb and Sean Chandler plays a little bit of corner, a little bit of safety. So there are a lot of young guys that I'm going to be really interested to keep an eye on in the secondary at cornerback is one of the top position battles. Which position battles are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, Center is probably the one I'm most interested in because we at all, every Giants beat writer, you and I included, had kind of assumed Brett Jones was going to be the starting center when they let Weston Richburg go in free agency and he signed a mega deal with the 49ers. Uh, John Jalapio has kind of overtaken him. Jalapio took, I would say, most the lion's share of... uh, first team center reps during the three mini camp practices after maybe they were closer to 50 50 during OTAs. Uh, so it seems like Jalapio's jumped in front of Jones. Whoever loses that battle will probably be the sixth offensive lineman as a backup center slash backup guard. Uh, but I think that's an interesting battle because Jalapio is an interesting guy. He was picked in the sixth round of the 2014 draft and didn't make his NFL debut till last season. When he played well, uh, it was overshadowed because no one cared about individual play in a 3-13 and disastrous season. But uh, Jalapio taking over at center, I think, is an interesting one uh, to keep an eye on going forward. It would be interesting to see if he keeps that. And just one thing I want to throw on top of what you said about the yep. Giants being a top-heavy roster. I did a story for NJ.com maybe a week or two ago where I looked at all the teams that are projected seven wins or less by uh, the betting lines. Hey, Matt, you know it's legal to bet on sports now in New Jersey? I, oh, I heard no way. Something. Yeah, I heard something about that. And yeah. they didn't hear a word about that. Yeah, wow. some, I heard something. So anyway, I looked at the teams <laughs> under seven, so to speak, for their win totals and did how many, how many pro bowlers, guys who have ever made a pro bowl on every team, and of the whatever it was, eight or nine teams, the Giants had the second most pro bowlers yeah. uh, behind the Cardinals. So clearly the Giants have more top end talent than most of the teams they're being grouped with. Yep, no, I agree. And and again, we're going to make a lot of big picture regular season predictions and projections later as this summer rolls along. But I'm pretty firm in watching what I've seen in camp and the new additions that have been brought in. I think this is a team that can really compete for a playoff spot this year. I really think there's opportunity um, for an NFC wildcard berth. And I think that the talent at the top, really because of the injuries last year and all of the nonsense with the coaching staff and Ben McAdoo losing the locker room, you turn the page from all of that and you bring in Pat Shermer, you bring in a new offense, you solidify the offensive line. And I think the Giants are really headed in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I've talked to Justin Tuck a couple times at different events, and he seems to think that Shermer has a lot of what 
would command respect in a locker room. So he would obviously know having played for Coughlin and being a Giants great and still in touch with many yep. of the many of the current players. So he's upbeat. So I think Giants fans should be upbeat. Yep. And I covered Pat Shermer for two years when he was Chip Kelly's offensive coordinator with the Eagles. And I remember speaking to our old colleague and now enjoying the retired life in Myrtle Beach, uh, Mark Eckel. I remember sitting after a Pat Shermer press conference in Chip Kelly's final season when Kelly was eventually fired and saying that I thought that Shermer would be an ideal candidate to replace Tom Coughlin with the Giants. Fast forward two years later, huh. and here we are. It's pretty funny how it works out that way. I wish I would have read it or tweeted it back. That written if it only tweeted sports it. betting was legal, you could have placed the bet then. <laughs> no. Imagine collecting in on that on that uh, ticket. But yeah. I, I agree. I look at the scheme. I look at the way that he uses his running backs. I look at the, you know, the culture that he's trying to build there with the Giants, what he did in Minnesota, what he did during his time as a coordinator under Chip Kelly with the Eagles. And I think that he has this team headed in the right direction. And I think that one area that's going to be dramatically improved, and we've talked about it ever since the draft. Ryan, that's the running game. And and we can talk all we want about Saquon Barkley and the dual threat. And depending on the offensive line, I legitimately think he has a chance to push for the rushing crown this year. But even if you take Saquon Barkley and put him on a shelf, I, I've been really impressed with Wayne Gallman. And I think that when you put Wayne Gallman, maybe not necessarily as a change of pace back, but a complimentary back on those rare occasions where Saquon Barkley is, you know, getting a blow and, and not on the field. He's still a dynamic pass catcher. He's still a guy with a little bit of burst and explosiveness. He still has some elusiveness in the open field. And you maintain that air of unpredictability of are the Giants running the ball or passing the ball with Gallman on the field as you do with Saquon Barkley. And this is a Giants team that had one of the worst ground attacks in the league last year. I think that's the area that will be the most improved on this team in 2018. Uh, that's a good uh, so area. So that's what you're you're asking me. The area that's most improved. I'll take linebacker. Uh, they've they've ignored linebacker. We've been over it a million times. They've been they've ignored linebacker. Now you're moving Olivier Vernon to linebacker, uh, a place he played with the Dolphins. You're adding Kareem Martin. You're adding Lorenzo Carter. I'll take you're adding uh, Alec Ogletree in the middle. He'll be kind of the quarterback of the defense, so to speak. Uh, I'll take linebacker as a position where they're most improved. And listen, there's nowhere to go but up. So uh, a lot of the Giants linebackers from last season aren't even signed. They're still free agents, which shows you uh, that they were not necessarily NFL starting quality last season. So I think uh, I think you can expect linebackers going to play much different in this system than they did in the old one. More of pass rushers, maybe. Uh, But I think you're going to see much better play out of the linebackers. And it's pretty amazing to me how former general manager Jerry Reese really ignored the linebacker position. You have Dave Gettleman this offseason. They don't just trade for Alec Ogletree before free agency begins. They invest a third round pick in Lorenzo Carter. They bring in a pass rusher like Josh Morrow, who's going to start the season on a four game suspension. But they've really doubled down on the linebacker spot, moving uh, Olivier Vernon, as you said, to a stand up pass rush situation that I, I think now you're right. As far as the defense goes, 
I think linebacker is the area where they're going to be most improved, probably by leaps and bounds. And the area that I'm still worried about from a Giants perspective, Ryan, it's the secondary. And I think that Landon Collins is one of the top five to 10 safeties in the NFL. I think that Andrew Adams is a pretty dynamic cover safety. So he's a nice compliment to how they'll probably move Landon Collins around, put him in the box in some areas. But Eli Apple's still a bit of a question mark, even though I think he's said and done all the right things this offseason. You still need to see him do it in his scheme camp. and in a game. He had a good camp, I yeah, thought. Yeah, I, I agree. There were some days, but I'd say yeah. for the most part, I thought he had a good camp. I thought so, too. There were also a couple of days where Eli Manning really targeted him with a lot of success, you know, going right after him. Um, guys like Cody Latimer and Hunter Sharp were beating him a couple times. But again, overall, I think it was a good spring for Eli Apple. But you still need to figure out what you're doing at nickel. And you still need to, once adversity hits, let's say against the Jaguars or against Dallas or against Houston, once adversity hits that secondary, we still need to see that group stay together and not unravel and unwind like they did a year ago. So if I were asked, which area the Giants still need to improve or what's the biggest weakness, I still think it's the secondary. A, what do you think about that, Ryan? And B, what would be your biggest area of concern? I I see what you're saying with the secondary. A lot of people have said that. Uh, I I think a couple guys you didn't name who could have impacts for the Giants, and we don't know, right? We just don't know. Is William Gay? He's got a lot of experience, 100-something starts in the NFL. Uh, He's been playing in the slot. This spring, I really like the addition of his addition to this team. I know his snaps got cut drastically in Pittsburgh, but on and off the field, I think he could have a real impact in that room. And Michael Thomas is a guy, a great special teams player who I also think could play in the slot, play some free safety. I think there's more there than most people are giving the Giants credit for, but probably still trends towards uh, more question marks than answers. And then that's kind of what I would say about the defensive line too. You yeah. mentioned, you mentioned Moro suspended for four games. Um, uh, Avery Moss hasn't done anything all spring except run on the side individually. RJ McIntosh is not even participating in practice, the fifth round pick rookie. So he's so far behind. I can't see him contributing at all as a, um, as a rookie, uh, so if you take away Avery Moss, you take away RJ McIntosh, you take away Josh Morrow for four games, you take away Vernon cause he's now technically a linebacker. Uh, and you're left with snacks, Harrison, BJ Hill, who's looked good as a rookie and, um, Dalvin Tomlinson as your starters. And then your backups are AJ Francis, um, carry win, uh, Suddenly, I know you're only playing three, not four, which is good, but suddenly that spot looks awfully uh, questionable in terms of depth. No doubt about it. So I think that the secondary is an area that needs to be looked at. And I think that you're right. The defensive line is an area, even though they, they added BJ Hill, who I think is going to play starter caliber snaps as a, a defensive end. I think that he's going to help. I like snacks, Harrison uh, and Dalvin Tomlinson is kind of a one, two punch along a three, four defensive line. Depth is going to be a worry there, but Ryan, one last thing before we get out the door and, you know, turn the page to our next podcast, I had a story go up today ranking the NFC East quarterbacks going into the 2018 season, factoring in what they've done in the past, factoring in situation, supporting cast, all of those things. I'll give you mine, but I know that everybody's going to focus on Eli Manning this year, particularly because the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley and passed on Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen. But 
it, if the season started today, how would you rank your NFC East quarterbacks? Uh, that's a great question. I'd go Wentz 1, Eli 2, Alex Smith 3, Dak Prescott 4, and I don't know what I'd do with Nick Foles because – Coming off that Super Bowl performance and that postseason, I'm tempted to put him, you know, I'm tempted to put him three. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I've seen too many quarterbacks get hot for short periods uh, before. I don't know that I'm fully sold on the idea that Nick Foltz is like a top 15 NFL quarterback all of a sudden. Don't know that I'm fully sold on that. So. For now, I'll leave it at the four starters, and I'll put Foles fifth, but that might be underselling Foles. We're not that far off from one another. I have Wentz and Foles one and two. I have Eli three, Alex Smith four, and Dak Prescott five. I've been really high on Dak Prescott since he was drafted. I thought coming out of Mississippi State, he had the chance to be a franchise quarterback and thought he was in the mold of a Russell Wilson type, but when he really came back down to earth without Ezekiel Elliott last year, I think that that kind of showed you closer I mean, to what he is. And he doesn't have Des Bryant and Jason nope. Witten this year. He and, lost both. He lost both guys. And if you've seen a Cowboys game in the last 10 years, those are yep. the only two guys they throw the ball to. I so. agree. And the offensive line got a lot weaker in Dallas over the last two years. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sold on Alex Smith, it, you know, especially when you take him out of that explosive offense with the Kansas City Chiefs. You put him into a scheme with the Redskins where you have a banged up tight end. You don't really have a field stretcher as a wide receiver. And your offensive line is kind of a work in progress and Eli I think has a chance this year with the supporting cast of Barkley, Beckham, Ingram, Shepard and an improved offensive line with Will Hernandez and Nate Solder on the left side you could really see him bounce back in a really big way and finish the season maybe as the number two quarterback in the NFC East depending on what Carson Wentz is able to do from a health standpoint. Yeah, to me, I'm dying to the preseason football is boring, right? I mean, it's yep. going to be my first season covering the NFL, but I've watched enough preseason games on TV to know that I fall asleep by like the middle of the first quarter. Uh, but I am dying to see Davis Webb in preseason action. I thought he had a really, really we're talking about NFC East quarterbacks. We can't put him on that top five of that list because he's never taken a regular season snap. Yep. But I thought he had a really, really good, really impressive offseason um and if it weren't for saquon barkley i would say that davis webb was the standout on offense yeah. for the giants in camp and if you That's took the, i'll go yeah. a step further if you took the numbers and the names off of the red jerseys i would say davis webb has the chance to be a starting quarterback hot take bang hot bang yeah um so i uh I look forward to freezing cold takes tweeting that at you for the next 10 years but um maybe i can rip up a giant pga tour, uh, check with the tweet on it like you did yeah, like, I, when i grow up i could be just like ryan dunleavy that'll yeah. be fun yeah but no i'm serious i want to see webb in the preseason i think that'll be very interesting because uh what Eli Manning does or doesn't do this year, I think I'll have a direct correlation on what where Davis Webb uh, falls on, you know, the future of the Giants scale uh, going forward. No, I totally agree. And in my story today on the NFC East quarterbacks, I, I, without using as many words, I basically said the same thing that. 
the the stage is set for Eli Manning to have a bounce back season in a big way, but the excuses are gone, right? You can't blame the subpar offensive line, um, barring another injury. You can't blame the lack of receivers. You can't I'm blame. Even, I'm kind of, um, I got to tell you, I'm even kind of tired of the injury excuses. Like the best quarterback. Listen, last year was the exception. He had a bazillion injuries, right? But an injury to Sterling Shepard or an injury to Nate Solder or one or two injuries can't wreck the giant season. Uh, Eli, like Aaron Rodgers, seemingly does every year uh, or, you know, uh, who, who oh, Drew Brees seemingly does every year, has to pull up the team, uh, has to make everybody better like he did earlier in his career when he yep. turned Steve Smith and Hockey Knicks and all these guys into like uh, all Pro Bowl caliber receivers. Right. My point is, though, barring those sort of injuries and that sort of calamity, the excuses are gone. And if Eli Manning doesn't produce, I think you're absolutely right that we would see Davis Webb next season, depending on how everything goes this year, of course, with him and his development. But the excuses are gone for Eli Manning. But at the same time, the stage is set for him to really bounce back. Ryan, this was fun as always. Any parting shots? Anything you want to get to on the way out the door? No, I think I usually have a parting shot or two, but I think I'll I'll think I'll let him go. It's it's summertime. The pools are open everywhere. We should uh, we should let people get back to them. Yeah, get back to the pool, get back to whatever you're doing outdoors, enjoy it. Please, if you like what you heard, subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear your five-star reviews there. Follow Ryan on Twitter. He's at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. And we'd love to see you subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio. And, of course, you can toss us a like on YouTube as well. He's Ryan Dunleavy. I'm Matt Lombardo. Thanks for listening to the Talk is Cheap podcast. We'll talk Talk to you further up the road, and you can read us, as always, on nj.com slash giants.